A reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at the first verse. <clears throat> and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Paulos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go to gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds, and he went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. The Gospel of the Lord. Um, if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to be back into Matthew 13. So put your finger in there. We're also going to uh, nuance uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 8, which was read to us as well. So in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Within every normal human being, 
there is a desire to accomplish, there is a desire to succeed, there is a desire to excel. In the Bible, there are enumerated references to these things. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 to 8 says, But God gave the increase, so then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labour. In this passage of scripture, there is a word and that word is the word increase. It is a word that every person who labours in the kingdom of God wants to see. Every person that is breathing here this morning, if you are a normal Christian, you want to see your impact increased. You want to see souls reached. You want to see your influence increased and your effectiveness increased. So together, let's look at a few simple facts as we look at the dynamic of increase and the church. There is a, a deadly factor this morning as we ponder this thought for a moment. That is the danger of being satisfied. And, that, and following that is the danger of complacency. And so many of us here have some influence whether it's influence in our family, influence in our work, influence in our community. And maybe you have some measure of success this morning in your Christian walk. You have longevity in your salvation or in your church attendance. Perhaps you have some accomplishments. And so you're satisfied with that. You're making a living or you've got an income coming in. And on top of all that, you're coming to church and you're doing your thing. And in doing all of this, we focus on comparison. We look at someone and we say, well, at least I'm doing better than them. And we become satisfied with the status to which we have achieved. And so where I come from, we call that mediocrity. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who applaud themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 to 14 says, Brethren, I do not count myself as having apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which, have, which are behind and reaching forward, to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize, for the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. So born in every believing Christian, inbuilt in all of God's creation, there is this principle that we need to grasp, and that's the principle of increase. Now, think with me as we ponder these words, because the God we serve is a God of increase. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Paul is expressing a principle that is inherent to God himself and to, and to all of creation. Like Jesus, Paul uses agricultural imagery to express this quality, the quality and the principle of seed, time and harvest. This principle is in all of nature. 
It is fundamentally recorded in all of creation this morning. And it tells us very plainly that God places in every living thing and in every living creature that it has this principle. And that principle is the principle of increase. Genesis chapter 1 verses 12 to Verses 11, sorry, to 12 says, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit, according to its own kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed, according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So every living thing that God created has within it a principle. And that principle is the principle of reproduction, the principle of increase. Now you and I have gathered in this place this morning for a purpose. And we live in a world where people gather together to do all, so all kinds of insane and crazy things. But we have gathered in this place because there is a challenge that has gone forth from the ministry of this church and that challenge is to increase. And the Christian faith epitomizes and lifts up this challenge of increase. Am I right? Amen. Jesus told several parables. And we're right in the middle of chapter 13 of Matthew, which is the parable of, or the chapter, sorry, of parables. And in these parables, he tells about a sower who goes forth to sow. He also says that the kingdom of God is like a man who sows seeds and rises and sleeps day and night. And so we see that the early church exemplifies this principle. A principle that we are still called to as a church and as individuals in the church today. That is the increase of the church and the increase or growth of the individual. Acts chapter 2 verse 47 says, And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Acts 16.5 says, so the, church, or so the churches were strengthened in their faith and increased in number daily. Now, if this is not happening, then it's a contradiction to the very nature of God. It is the opposite, and it is a contradiction to everything God has placed within his creation. It's God's design, and it's God's purpose this morning that we as a church and as individuals that we experience increase. It is contrary to God's created order. It is contrary to the ordained purpose of God. And it is contrary to the very teachings of Jesus. If increase is not taking place. And if that is so, then there is something wrong. In our gospel passage this morning, Matthew 13, 24 to 43, Jesus tells the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Now, in the King James Bible, there's a phrase used there for the, the word. Uh, it talks about the wheat and the tares, which is a more accurate translation, because while all tares are wheat, not all weeds are tares. While all tares are weeds, sorry, not all weeds are tares. Now, Reverend Adam Clark, who was a Methodist scholar, writes about the parable of the wheat and the tares. He says, The wheat has a natural principle of increase, but the tares are reprobate or degenerate wheat. 
tares look like wheat and have all the outward principles of wheat, but they are degenerate and baseless and bring forth no fruit. And so Jesus speaks of the tares as a conflict or as a contradiction that will not be tolerated by God. The tear is a pretender. It is uh, portrayed as an affront to God's revealed purpose, the revealed purpose of growth, the revealed purpose of fruitfulness and increase. So the moral of Jesus' parable is that the tear represents religious mediocrity and the status quo, which is the very opposite nature to the purpose of the gospel and to the people who claim to live by the tenets of such a gospel. Joshua, a charismatic, charismatic warrior leader who succeeded Moses to, to be the leader of Israel, who had many, many amazing victories. And you can read about him in the Old Testament book of Joshua, chapter 10, uh, verse 11, uh, chapter 10, chapter 11, and chapter 12 are the outstanding chapters that you probably should read about. Now, in chapter 10, God causes the sun to stand still and the moon to stop for a whole day, just so Joshua could defeat the enemies of Israel. And so with all the countless victories, which are summarized in chapter 12, there is a reflection or a, a deliberation that starts chapter 13. Joshua chapter 13, verse 1, it says, There is yet much land to possess. There is much, much land to be possessed. Now, Joshua was not simply willing to rest on the successes of the moment. There is yet much land to be possessed. Today, as he was with Joshua and the children of Israel, God today is a God of increase. Colossians 2:19 says, talking of Christ, whom, from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. In the King James Version of the Bible, it says, increaseth with the increase of God. Increaseth with the increase of God. So let's come to grips with all these thoughts this morning. The increase of the church, the increase of our ministry ability, the increase of our effectiveness. And if that's not happening, then there's something is contrary to God's purposes. So let's shove all the excuses to the side and begin to ask why. And let's, uh, uh, let's address the issue and the need, the needed increase in godliness. The needed increase in godliness. One of the awful truths of Christianity and of the church itself is carnality. The Bible tells us that there are three kinds of people on planet Earth. The first one is the unregenerated, those who are unsaved, those who are dead in their sins. Number two, the spiritually alive. Those who are saved, those who are born again, those who are regenerated, they are led or they are under the control of the Holy Spirit. The third is the person uh, is, that is mentioned directly and indirectly by Jesus, respectfully. They are the person that, is, that has had an experience with God, that uh, maybe generally got born again, but something has happened to that experience. But rather than live their life 
that is dictated by the word of God and by the Holy Spirit, they have allowed themselves to become governed by their lower nature. This is a carnal person this morning. Carnality historically has been present in the church from the beginning. Jesus foretold it in the wheat and the weeds parable. And Paul is dealing with it in the Corinthian church. Carnality causes intolerance in the body of Christ and territorial conflicts and schisms. Let's review what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there is envy, strife and division among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? The Bible prophesies that in the last days that there will be many who will profess to believe in Jesus Christ and they will have a form of godliness, but they will deny the power thereof. In other words, their conduct is going to contradict their confession of faith. So the word godliness is linked to a relational behaviour. One of the mistakes that we make, and much of the church history bears this out, we think that to be spiritual, we have to separate ourselves or cloister ourselves together in some sort of holy commune. We do that because we think that to be holy and righteous and develop a holy character, we have to separate ourselves. Even today, there are orders of monks and religious sects that withdraw from society. We just have to get in our vehicles, in our cars, and take a short drive into the countryside, and we can witness that sort of stuff firsthand, can't we? Simon the Stylite was a classic example of this separatist mindset. Is there a picture of him there? There he is there. Look, here's a man who spent 37 years sitting and praying on a 55-foot pedestal, all because he wanted to be closer to God. Now, I understand that godliness is the aim, but godliness is worked out in the arena of life. Ephesians 4, 13 says, Until all of us come to the unity of faith, and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ, from whom all the body, being fitted and knitted together through that which every joint supplies, according to the working and measure of each individual part, makes the body increase to the building up of itself in love. Here's the imagery that the members of the body of Christ function together towards God's purpose. This is the key to long-term godly increase. And that is that every genuine believer wants to see increase in the service that they offer to God, in their personal growth, in their walk with God, in their church, in all of life's efforts. So what is the key this morning? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 9 to 10 says, but, according, but, sorry, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren 
that you increase more and more. Let's look at this ministry of increase at work. The increase of godliness in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12 says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another all the more, or, and, and to all, just as we have, just as we do to you. All right, so let's cut to the chase this morning. The, 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 the attracting of people to the church, the retention of of those people and their growth in the things of God depends on this dynamic this morning of godliness. The dynamic of relationships. In scripture, the dynamic of increase is synonymous with the godliness and good relationships. That is the dynamic of Christian people extending themselves. The difficulty we face are many. The difficulties we face are many. Pride, Partiality, sectarianism, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. And all these things uh, disrupt and divide and they hinder. There's a great poem called the Pride Poem. It says, pride there is of rank, pride of birth, a pride of learning, a pride of purse, a London pride there, we, there, there be on earth, a host of prides, some better, some worse. But all the pride since Lucifer's attaint, the proudest swells a self-elected saint. Proverbs 14, 3-4 says, In the mouth of the fool is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Where no oxen are, the trough is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of the ox. Where there is no strength, where there is no desire, where there is impotence, there is no increase. The, the trough, the stable, remain clean. They remain unused. They remain empty. They remain hollow. The unsaved, the sinner, the unchurch, brings a multitude of problems, a multitude of trials, a multitude of challenges. And the stable will need to be cleaned. The stable will need to be mucked out. The trough will need to be cleaned and filled with fresh fodder. Oh, but that's not my calling. I'm not anointed to do that. That's not my job. That's not my ministry. If that's the case, you don't understand God's word and God, God's character this morning regarding increase and godliness. But sadly, you are, as the Apostle Paul teaches, carnal. The historic and enduring strength of the church is the new Christian. Somebody should say amen right there. The historic and the enduring strength of the church is the new Christian. We exist for the sinner to be redeemed. We are the hospital of the soul. Colossians chapter 4 verse 5 says, Walk in wisdom towards those where? Outside of these four walls, redeeming the time. As the Apostle Paul says, we need to exercise ourselves unto godliness. That means loving the unlovable. It's so easy to love the lovely, isn't it? It's so easy to love the lovely. 
we need to exercise ourselves unto godliness because godliness brings increase and godliness is worked out in the arena of life. Godliness is not automatic. You must give yourself to it. As the worship team comes forward and the piano plays softly, as we review and close this morning, there is a danger of being satisfied. Satisfied with the status to which we have achieved. This is not what God is calling you and I to in Jesus. The Apostle Paul tells us there is a race to run and a determination to run that race ahead of us. The God we serve, the God we worship every Sunday, every day is a God of increase. This very nature should be and must be the lifeblood of his church and of his people. There is a godly principle throughout the whole of the Bible of seed, time and harvest. This is why Jesus says the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. God will always provide increase. He will always provide increase. But we must play our part. And thirdly, godliness versus carnality. Where will we... Where will the increase come from so my challenge to you from the scriptures is that godliness must increase carnality will suffocate and kill what God is doing in our church if we just stop exercising ourselves unto godliness that tells me that it will take some effort from every person here this morning it will take a purpose of mind and a purpose of action from every person here this morning. In all of this, the problem still remains. Increase. Increase. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 says, The one who plants and the one who waters really do not matter. It is God who matters. Because God, He gives the increase. So let's bow our heads as we pray. And believe God this morning and I would ask at this time that all Christians would pray softly for the redeeming presence of God in this place right now perhaps as you gather with us this morning and this whole message has challenged you not that you have come not that you have some kind of uh, belief in God. Not that you have some, some kind of belief in God. Not that you have read the Bible uh, or some of the Bible. Not even that you go to church this morning. The challenge that you find yourself with this morning is that you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. That's the challenge you find yourself with this morning. My friend, are you able to stand this morning and proclaim, God, you are my God. Are you able to stand and shout out aloud, Jesus, I am yours and you are mine? These are questions, my friend, that you must answer either now or on the day of judgment. The problem is it's too late on the day of judgment. The Bible says that it is appointed for mankind to die once and then judgment. The Bible also says that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and there is none righteous with God. But this morning, while you have breath in your lungs, there is a second chance. 
There is a way to get right with God, and that is through Jesus Christ and the price that he paid for your sins and for my sins on Calvary's cross. All it takes is a simple prayer, asking Jesus into your life. And if that is you this morning, please slip up your hand right now and say yes to Jesus. That's me, Pastor Neil. I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to say yes to Jesus this morning. Here is my hand. I want my sins forgiven. I want to become a child of God. I want to make heaven my home. Yes, Pastor Neil. That's me. That's me. I want to come to Jesus. Here's my hand. Honest hearts this morning. Honest hearts. Honest hearts. If you raised your hand, then I would ask you to repeat this prayer. Let's all join together and pray this prayer. So let's repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you today. Forgive me my sins. Wash me with your blood. I, I believe you died for me. And on the third day you rose again that I may be justified. Right now, I believe that my sins are forgiven. I am justified by your blood. I am born again. I am saved. I am a child of God. I am free from the power of sin to serve the living God. Thank you, Jesus, for receiving me. Thank you, Jesus, for restoring me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, please raise your hand. Please pray. I want to, amen, honest hearts. I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. Father, I pray over this precious soul. Your grace has saved them. Let your grace preserve them. In the name of God Almighty, I cover you with the precious blood of Jesus. Remain covered until the day of his appearing. You have come into the light. You will never have any reason to go back into the darkness. You've come into freedom and you will never go back into captivity. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the many warnings against worldliness, for the many warnings against carnality and fleshly desires. Help us all to press on and up onto the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. May we come, become, may we become a people focused on Christ. Our desire is to live and to work for the greater praise and glory of our God, our Father Almighty. And we pray this this morning in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I, uh, I want you to know I asked Father Neil if this was okay. I'm, I'm submitted to his leadership in, in the service this morning. Um, and I didn't plan to do this, but uh, two, just two different things real quick I want to say. Um, uh, one is, um, I don't know how much you've heard about uh, 
Father Joe Murphy's wife, Mickey, who was in a horrible accident about two and a half weeks ago. And uh, it is a miracle she's alive. I mean, an absolute miracle. She was driving to Cincinnati for work on an interstate. A man coming from the other direction had a heart attack and died, came across the median and hit her head on. Um, and it was, it was such an impact that the seatbelt cut through her abdominal wall and severed her colon and intestines. It was a horrible accident. Um, every bone in her right leg was broken, bones in both hands, forearm. The doctors uh, did surgery on her through the first day and a half, and she is doing outstanding. She is um, the... Um, not only did the, the man die who hit her, but his wife who was in the car with her was also killed in the crash. So it was a very devastating accident. And so I just, I'm asking you to pray for them. Father Joe's dear brother in, and Mickey serves as our um, diocesan delegate at Provincial Council. We were just together a few weeks ago sitting next to each other in meetings in Plano, Texas. She's got such a great heart serving, serves on our diocesan finance committee. A long road of recovery ahead, but full recovery is, is uh, you know, the no brain damage, uh, just all kinds of excellent things. So um, just keep praying, Joe and Mickey Murphy, Father Joe and Mickey, um, they're dear, dear people. Um, what, I, what I wanted to just share real quickly, because the Lord just put on my heart uh, with, with Father Neil's message, um, I just, I'm so appreciative. I, I, I just see God's hand. I see how God has answered our prayers in, in Father Neil coming here um, and for serving this congregation, for what I see happening. Thank God for that. Um, and uh, I was out, uh, so I'm on sabbatical. And when I'm on sabbatical, I like trim trees. And, you know, I've, I've, there's, it's, it's amazing there's any tree limbs left in the front yard. I get carried away. You know, I hauled away five truckloads of tree limbs in the last two days. I just get carried away. Um, a certain deacon who's my daughter has taken pictures of me in, in trees climbing around. And so, um, but when I'm doing those things, I just, I just think, I just pray. And, um, and uh, this idea of, of the increase in sowing, these are some of my favorite parables in all of scripture. And uh, there are, there are Two things God put on my heart yesterday, not necessarily for today. I didn't know we were coming here today, but two things he put on my heart. And uh, the first one, th there's, there's two statistics I want to share with you that are absolutely foolproof, okay? The first one is um, churches that are 10 years old or more tend to uh, see uh, uh, only 20% of growth come with new believers and about 80% come from people coming from other churches. That's a, just a real statistic. Churches that are less than 10 years old see about 80% of people coming to the Lord as new believers and only about 20 coming from other congregations. So what does that mean? Um, last I checked, this church is more than 10 years old. And so uh, there's an invitation to us to be something different and to, to do something different. And I believe it's absolutely possible. That's a general statistic, but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, the second thing that, that struck me yesterday was the Lord just was speaking to me while I was out doing that work. And he said, I want to give you an absolutely 
um, absolutely irrefutable, irrefutable statistic. 100% of what you do not sow will never grow to any harvest. 100% of what you do not sow will never come to any fruition. And it fits in, in every area of life. It's regardless of, of how I spend my time. It, 100% of the time I do not spend in the Word of God will bear no fruit in my life for the truth of the Word of God. 100% of the time I do not pray will bear no fruit in my life. 100% of my, the finances I do not give will never reap anything in the kingdom. And so it was just a reminder, again, about it's sowing seeds. And it's not the size of the seeds, but it's sowing seeds. It's just being faithful to do that. And then this last thing. Um, I, as, I, as I reflected on that, I reflected on this. Um, sometimes people look at me as the bishop or at Father Neil or other clergy, and they think, well, you know, they've, they've gone to seminary and they've done these things, and so they do things that I can't do. Um, I... I spent, I've spent about five or six years of my life in Bible college and seminary, but I've spent 47 years of my life trying to walk faithfully with God every day. And I can tell you that the things that bear fruit in my life are not necessarily things that I learned in the five or six years of seminary, although it was a good experience, it was worth it, but it's things I've learned every day the things that God speaks to me out of his word and shares with me when I'm praying. And I believe this, what I'm going to say next, I believe with all my heart. You can, you can, every person in this room can know your Bible every bit as well as I know my Bible. Um, you have, you have the Bible for you. You, you, you know the language. You can know it every bit as well as I do because it's just a matter of day by day sowing seeds, taking time to read, taking time to pray. And with that, a great harvest will come. But it takes what Father Neil has been talking with us about, it's intentionality. It's the intentionality to just stay with it day by day and rely heavily on the grace of God, and He will give the increase. And we can, we can believe that, pray for it, and labor for it, sow seeds for it, and trust Him with it. So, Father, I just pray that you'll take um, whatever is of you in this and just stir our hearts anew and afresh today to be, uh, be, uh, be open, to be uh, surrendered and submitted before your presence, Lord. That what we receive from your word and in prayer, you will cause to bear fruit for your kingdom and bring glory to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.